You're listening to the Lions Beat with your hosts, Kyle Mikey and Justin Rogers. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of the Detroit Lions podcast. They have not fired us yet, which is uh, optimistic for both Justin Rogers and I. Um, Justin just got a, a notification about three minutes ago that he got 32 pounds of ecto cooler dropped off at his house. So this might be a very this might be a very short podcast. Um, but yeah, so Lions have completed uh, two rounds of OTAs. Justin, they're almost through their third round. Uh, they'll finish it up today this this afternoon. Uh, we'll be out there, but um, to this point, obviously a lot of, you know, we've seen a lot of, uh, I don't want to say developments because we've only seen two practices. We can't say a whole lot in terms of how guys are looking. They're just in shorts. I mean, you, what we glean is very little in terms of, um, you know, in terms of where guys are at, particularly with the with the linemen and so forth. But you can see depth of where certain guys are at on the depth chart as of this date. And so, I, you know, I, I think maybe a logical place to start this week is just on, on maybe updating where we see some of these position battles at. Um, obviously, tackle is a big one. Um, where do you, see, you know, what, what are the odds you give t- uh, to Riley Reef or to Taylor Decker of winning that left tackle job? Yeah, we're going to play the percentage game today, yeah. and yeah. Uh, it is June 9th, uh, so percentages are open to to changing over the course of the offseason. But uh, yeah, Taylor Decker, I, I mm-hmm. thought, uh, you know, when he was drafted, I I probably would have put it at maybe. 15% that he'd be left tackle, uh, some, something low like that. Uh, right now, I'm I'm probably closer to 75%. And I, I know we've only seen two practices, but we've seen photo galleries from some of the other ones where he's been at left tackle. Uh, the, the Lions are giving him a lot of early burn there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's at the point now where I'm kind of anticipating them going into training camp with with him in the lead i guess in the competition and mm-hmm. not that it can't change i think they know what they have in riley and they want to see what they've got in taylor but uh for long-term purposes i mean that's that's what makes sense for this organization yeah i'm in the same boat you are uh i, I mean i really thought reef was gonna be the guy on the left side I, i'm no expert online play so i like to consult people or sources when it comes to uh when it comes to evaluating play up there and everything i was hearing on decker was that he was very he was a strong player overall but that his strength was rush run blocking and that his weakness at that point was pass blocking um but i don't think that's a concern the lion share at least they think whatever they see is correctable because they're running him out there at left tackle it's very obvious that's where uh they hope that he eventually plays uh, anything can happen if, if he struggles or if they like reef more on the left side you know those things then there's a lot of time that that can still happen uh, but I'm with you. It's, it's apparent to me in terms of people I've talked to, in terms of what we're seeing, that they want Decker to be their left tackle on September 11. And I give it, I mean, 85% is what I give. And the only reason he wouldn't be, uh, that Decker wouldn't be the left tackle is if he if he struggles uh, once the pads go on. Man, I thought I was being optimistic with 75%, but Kyle's over here throwing around the well, 85s. If, but I mean, if they were swapping Reef and, and Decker around, maybe I'd feel differently. But they're sure. giving Decker the long burn on the left side. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's the, that, 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 that is their plan. You know, and I I go back to what you mentioned about consulting with other people about about how Decker fits in, in the scheme. And, um, you know, Ohio State didn't ask him to do a lot of traditional pass blocking in, in the NFL sense. A lot of those drops in, in Ohio State for, for the linemen, the tackles in particular, were, were very shallow. You know, it wasn't your traditional uh, kick slide that you see where, where they protect the wide edges. Everything was designed in Ohio State to kind of be get rid of the ball quickly uh, the quarterback was very mobile there obviously or the quarterbacks because they had i think eight of them and they all were on the all pro team but uh you know talking to Charles bentley and, and listen uh taylor decker's his horse in the race it's it's an ohio state connection it's a guy that he's handpicked train but uh you know bentley had a really a lot of nice things to say about Decker's preparation and his skill set and his ability to handle what is put on his plate. And he said, you know, the thing about him that that makes him or will make him a good pro is he's self-aware of his weaknesses. And you don't see that a lot with NFL guys. You know, something mm-hmm. that was told to me about DeAndre Levy years ago is the guy's self-aware and it's it's such a unique trait to have as professional. So Decker knows he needs to work on his pass protection. He's 
he's not stupid. You know, he, he knows that he didn't do uh, a whole lot of what he's going to be asked at the professional level at Ohio State, but he's been working on it since basically day one since he finished school. And obviously the Lions feel comfortable with him there in projection. Uh, and and we'll, I guess we'll really see it once the pads get on. Agreed. Uh, moving along, but sticking with the offense and the offensive line center, um, you know, we thought that was going to be a two-horse race between Swanson and the third-round pick, Graham Glasgow. Uh, could still be a two-horse race, but it was interesting last week when we saw Swanson not practicing and we saw Gabe Eichert, of all people, <laughs> repping with the ones uh, as center. I don't think he has a, a chance in hell of um, winning that job, uh, putting but, it politely. But, but it's an interesting juxtaposition because, you know, I, I mean, I think Jim Caldwell has shown that, that, that he, he favors veterans Oftentimes, and that's particularly true early in the se- early in the off season. You know, a rookie really has to earn his way uh, to those reps. And I thought it was telling that Decker was getting some of those early reps that we just talked about on the left side. And maybe it is telling, or maybe it's not that 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 um, Glasgow is not Glasgow is not getting those kind of reps. And even when Swanson went down, Glasgow was still with the twos. And I'm not sure what that means, if if anything. Uh, but I, I mean, I, maybe it's I I thought going into the off season that. Glasgow probably had about a sixty to seventy percent chance of winning that job, just because I don't, I didn't think they'd spend a third round pick on a specialty position like that if they didn't really think he was an upgrade over Swanson. But now maybe I reduce that to a fifty fifty ball between Swanson and Glasgow. I, I still think Glasgow probably is the long term guy, but maybe he's a more of a long term project than than what we had thought. Yeah, I, I guess I was a little bit more tepid on on the competition coming in. I thought it was closer to fifty fifty. I, I I would give. I would have given Glasgow the edge, but yeah, the fact that he's third string in these early practices, it, it is unusual Caldwell, but we've also seen him give rookies some increased opportunities, starting with Decker. Uh, Ashawn Robinson's been working with the first team due to some injury issues. Um, guy like Cole Wick. You know, we're talking about an undrafted guy is, is running with some first team a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but that's so, a little bit of a different case because the I mean, there's fair. no there's no right, there's no E. Brown, there's no Pettigrew. I mean, that's you need to put somebody out there, and if it's not Matthew Mulligan, then it's gonna be it's gonna be Cole Wick. Yeah, yeah. you might as well put somebody out there to catch passes, I guess. But um, listen, Eichert's not a slub. Uh, he's he was a first team All American in in 2013. He's he's got some years of experience, and yeah, he hasn't done a whole lot at the professional level, but he was here last year. He he's going to get an opportunity they need to see what they have in him if nothing else um we've seen two of eight practices we'll see a third of of nine today uh there's there's nothing to say that maybe glasgow wasn't getting some i guess opportunities in some of those other practices maybe we weren't seeing but uh it's pretty clear right now that that swanson is is still the guy uh you know that that's a guy that i i haven't wanted to bury uh third-year player you know it's it's still too early to say like his career is gonna be a disaster he struggled last year there's there's no question about it and um you know i think it was a position we all identified potentially for an upgrade but uh i i guess i would flip my 55 45 now from from glasgow to to swanson yeah i don't want to bury swanson either just at all, just like i don't want to bury eric ebron the difference is they didn't go out in the third round and draft a tight end whereas they did go out in the third round and draft a center and so that's that's why i get i mean at when that when when that draft pick was made, I thought just reading the tea leaves, there's a very good chance Graham Glasgow will be your starting center. Now I think it's maybe less of a chance than I did originally because because of, of the you know I could write uh, ripping with the ones and 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 really it's seeming like Glasgow is maybe more of a long term project than initially thought. I mean, Rail is at practice, so maybe he's going to just slowly get his hat back in the ring. And then, <laughs> I bet he thinks he can. You know, too. you know, I he bet he retire. <laughs> Uh, moving along, uh, slot receiver. I, I think we can safely say that Golden Tate and Marvin Jones are going to be your, your outside wideouts. But there is a little bit of a, a battle there in the on the inside between um, Jeremy Curley and, and TJ Jones, who's quickly, it seems, quickly improving. Uh, where do you go there? I'm still going to lean Curley. You know, I think they brought him in for a reason. Uh, he's, he's really good in the slot. Uh, or can be really good in the slot. He kind of fits the whole run-after-the-catch mold that they've got all the receivers um, seemingly going that way. So I, I still think 75-80% chance that that ends up Curley's job. The nice thing about Jones is, is he adds depth, not just in the slot, but on the outside. He can do a little bit of everything. So I, I still look at him as maybe roster locks, a little bit aggressive and saying, but uh, pretty pretty darn close to it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I go fifty-one forty-nine in favor of um, in favor of Curly. Just for, for the, re- I mean, I, I don't think you bring him in at 
a million plus or whatever, whatever he's making, if he's not going to be your guy. And they knew what they had in TJ Jones at that time. It's not to say TJ Jones can't win that job because again, it's fifty one forty nine. I think it's basically a coin flip. Um, but if I had to give, give the edge to someone, I guess it would be, I guess it would be Curly. But Jones has really impressed me. I was kind of a skeptic coming out in, in the off season when Caldwell and Stafford and some of these guys were talking about TJ Jones being a breakout candidate in two thousand sixteen. It really felt to me like it was. You know, just a, a, one of those standard uh, off-season hype trains or something. And sometimes these things have some credence to them, and sometimes they don't. And it felt kind of empty to me on, on TJ Jones, but the, I mean, he's proven me wrong because he's looked in the in the time that we've seen him out there. He's looked he's looked good, and uh, he's been involved. And I think that he's not going away. I do think I, I don't think he's a lock to make the roster, but I do think it's far more likely that he makes it than he doesn't. And I think it's more I think it's more likely he wins the starting job than he gets cut at this point. Yeah, he, he was a six-round pick. He essentially missed his entire rookie season. Uh, last year was physically for him that, that rookie year, and, and he showed steady improvement. He you know, flashed a little bit at the end of the season, and what did it amount to? Ten receptions. So mm-hmm. we've, we've still only seen the tip of the iceberg, um, and, and we don't know what's, what's remaining under the surface, but it, it looks like TJ Jones has more to offer this club. I, I look at Curley as a stopgap. He's, mm-hmm. he's a, a veteran guy, but he's, he's here on a one-year deal and uh, you know fills what they philosophically want uh, at that position. But that's not to say that, that Jones can't continue to develop and, and be uh, leading towards taking over that role full-time, whether it's late this season or start of next season if they don't draft someone else yeah jones really came on strong at the end of last year and i think it's worth pointing out i mean i had a chance to catch up with him uh after practice after one of the otas and he was saying that um that the 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 nerve issue was still impacting him throughout much of last year even though it had the injury had occurred way before that i still don't really know how he contracted it because when the lions drafted him out of Notre Dame, they knew he had a shoulder, or I believe they knew he had a shoulder issue and that he was going to require some work on it. Um, and he underwent that procedure and then he started to feel the nerve pain. So I'm not sure ex- it had the nerve issue. And so I'm not sure exactly how that injury occurred because it wasn't a nerve thing when they drafted him, but then it became a nerve thing even you know after, the, after he had the procedure. So I'm not sure how it happened, but that ended up being what, what affected him for so long was not the shoulder, but the nerve. And he said that even when he got back to healthy and there was no pain and he was, he was practicing and playing throughout the early parts of last year, that he was still lacking in hand strength. It took him a long time to to get that hand strength back, and I don't think I'm not sure how much you can directly attribute, you know, his his uh, his nice finish to the season. I believe he caught nine of his ten passes there in the last five games. Um, I'm not sure how much you can, can you can attribute that to the hand strength or, or lack thereof previously, but certainly once he got healthy, then he started producing. He looked much better than Corey Fuller, and I think you're going to continue continue to see that mm-hmm. that trajectory with TJ Jones. No drops. So I mean that's that's a good sign. 18 targets, 10 catches. That, that means eight of those were were uncatchable by whoever was counting those but uh, no drops. So that mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest concern with the nerve issue if you're not you know, really feeling the football. He did fumble a couple times last year, I think, both on kickoff returns. But those well, he wasn't playing early earlier, year. too, so yeah. that could have been the internal worry was that, hey, I mean, he can't. Sure. I, I never really saw problems with drops in practices, but obviously practices are very different than the game environment. And I, I, I don't, I mean, I could pull up his profile, I guess, but I'm feeling a little lazy right now. So, but I know that he didn't dress for most of the games in the in the first three quarters of the season, and it was really down the stretch when he was dressing and playing. Um, Lance Moore went out with the injury. He came in. He played much better than Corey Fuller. And when Mo- when Moore came back, it was Corey Fuller who went down or who was um, uh, not who had his role diminished. Uh, and, and TJ Jones continued to play. And I think that speaks to where the, those two players are at. In fact, Fuller's not even practicing right now because of an injury, and that could further imperil his ability. Uh, to make this team. Uh, one more with the offense, power back. Um, I think we can both agree that Amir Abdullah is the top rush on this team, uh, that Theo Riddick will be highly involved in the passing game. It's that third back, the the power role that was kind of previously occupied by Joyke Bell that's really up for grabs. Um, they assigned a free agent, Stephen Ridley, a former 1,000-yard rusher. Also hurt. And, and currently hurt, right. Um, and he's going up against Zach Zenner, who was hurt last year. Um, he had the the... the the rib injury, the chest injury. Um, he fractured four lungs in five places, which sounds four ribs. 
Enough, enough more words. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. That'd be that'd be that'd be very impressive if he actually uh, serious injury. There, four fractures. <laughs> no, he fractured lungs. four ribs in five places. Uh, those healed just fine, but it, he actually collapsed a lung as well. And I talked to him after um, the last OTA of last week, and he was saying that was what really uh, affected him over a longer period. And he, I mean, he had trouble even sneezing pain free for uh, for months, but. Um, to his credit, he stuck around the building even when he wasn't practicing. He was in meetings. He, we saw him at almost every practice. He might have been at every practice. I just can't I can't say that with authority. But he was definitely out there um, almost every day, even though he couldn't play. And I think that helped him not fall behind schematically. And you see that this this spring, I think, because he did have a little rust when he came back, back out. And he even said as much that physically and mentally he had some rust with just play calls and, and you know hearing the play call and being able to digest what was going on, what his responsibilities were. Um, but he's shaking that. He looks pretty strong. He's getting a lot of reps right now with Abdullah out. Uh, I think at the end of the day, Zenner has a very good chance of, of being the guy over Ridley. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, uh, but maybe maybe 55%. I just think he has more in him, more upside. And right now, Ridley's not even practicing. So I think at this point, I have to give it to, to Zenner. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to flip that. And, and I'm still leaning Ridley. I, I think very similarly to, to Curly, they brought him in for a reason. They identified him as, as a fit. Um, they gave him a decent amount of guaranteed money. Um, you know, it's 250000 isn't enough to keep you on the roster. Uh, it's certainly not a guarantee, but it, it implies that, you know, they liked the idea of having you on the roster when they signed you. Uh, I guess I just have a hard time giving a nod to a guy I haven't seen practice. Yeah, and, and he's still, uh, what is it, about a year and a half removed, two years from a from an ACL injury. Uh, we know that those can be devastating to, to running backs, particularly the year after they, they occurred. So uh, what, what we saw last year from Stephen Ridley wasn't really probably truly who he is. It's probably closer, I would think, to the back he was in New England. Uh, fumble issues are, are concerning there, um, as, as if they need more ball security issues in, in the backfield. Uh, but yeah, I mean, who who doesn't want to see Zenner succeed? It's it's a really good story. Um, he's he's a really nice kid. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. there's just no other way to put it. He's just a, he's one of those guys that I, I think just kind of appreciates being in an NFL locker room. Uh, one of the least look, uh, football-looking players in that locker room, which is weird because he runs with such authority at times. But that preseason last year, was just, it was just so exciting. And I, I get that he was running against second and third stringers and guys that were, were out of the league, but just the, the, the passion and energy he ran with made him an, an obvious fan favorite. And look at the numbers he put up in college. And I, I get the competition level. I, I get that. But um, you know, this is a guy that that's going to give you everything, every single snap, and obviously that's that's going to appeal to fans. So it's hard to to root against that. And I, well, I mean, it's fair to be suspect of what he did in the preseason because again, it came a lot against the second and third stringers, guys who were selling insurance last October. Um, but he, I mean, he he took what he did in the preseason and it translated to the regular season. I know it's a very small sample size, 17 carries, but he averaged three and a half yards a carry. I mean, he was still an effective back. I mean, think of it this way. He he had hit the field and had two carries before Theo Riddick ever played a down last year. And now Theo Riddick blew up and I'm not comparing the two, but I, uh, my, my, my the point I want to make is that coaches, the Lions coaches, they're very high on Zach Zander. They, I mean, we were last year during preseason, we were trying to figure out you know, would they keep this guy or would they try to sneak him out of the practice squad? And there was a prevailing thought in Allen Park. It became clear quickly. It became, well, there's a prevailing thought that they would, they would not be able to even get him to the practice squad. Someone else would pick him up. There's a, a, a fear in Allen Park that, um, that that was not an alternative. So it was basically either keep him on the team or see him play elsewhere. And obviously they kept him on the team. Now I know that, you know, it's, it's, it's Quinn's job to bring in as much talent as possible in competition. And they brought in Stephen Ridley for a reason. And I'm assuming Caldwell sees something in him too, because Quinn likely is not going out just randomly signing players that coaches don't have any designs for. But having said that, coaches love Zach Zenner. And I think if Zach Zenner plays well, uh, practices well, shows the same kind of, of powerful running and, and, and consistency that he showed last year, I think he wins this job. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be mad if he does. Right. Maybe Stephen Ridley, but well, <laughs> you got me there. All right, flipping to the defense. Uh, we'll start up front. Not much of a battle i think uh, not much of a battle at 
defensive end. I think Zigianta is probably going to start for this team. I think Devin Taylor is probably going to start for this team. With Terry Stuck's comments, I mean, just, just kind of sealed it. I think last week where he said, we expect him to make that mm-hmm. jump to be an everyday starter. I mean, that's... yeah. We, we expected it, but that, that kind of locked it in for us. As much fun as it is to say Wallace Gilberry, I just I think Devin Taylor's going to be the guy. Uh, and at defensive tackle, I also personally think it's pretty settled, but I guess there's enough uh, wiggle room there that we could actually debate it. So I'll throw that out there, defensive tackle. I think it's going to be Haloti Nada, 100%. I think it's going to be Tyron Walker next to him, probably 90%. Um, I like Ashawn Robinson. Teammates like Ashawn Robinson. Haloti Nada likes Ashawn Robinson. Coaches love Ashawn Robinson. There's a lot of people around here who like this kid and think he thinks he has a high upside but i i mean i i think walker walker really impressed me last year when he was healthy he i know we didn't get much of a taste from him in the regular season because of the injury but i just think he's a talented guy and i think he's gonna win the starting job yeah walker's contract's really interesting too because it's it's all based on on snap counts you know he'll he'll get bonuses based on uh playing i think it's 50 60 and 70 percent of snaps um, and then he also has per game bonuses, but but I'm with you. I, I don't know if uh, would you say 90, 95 percent. I don't know if I'm that high. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's probably closer to to 75. He needs to prove that he's back from broken leg. And um, you know, Walk- Walker's a guy that we still don't know a whole lot about. You know, it, in New Orleans, he was a reserve. He rarely started. He maybe only started one game, and it might have been one of his last few games there. And, and listen, he performed well in that reserve role, and then he was here for what three four weeks before he broke the leg um I, I thought he was adequate i don't i don't think he was uh a clear-cut starter so robinson has three months essentially obviously they're gonna be gone for a whole month of training camp and preseason to uh, prove that he deserves that job and, and he's looked really good you know i think the the reviews from the coaching staff have been really good i think what we've seen with our eyes has been very good and and all of that is without pads so that you know you take that with the the grain of salt that it should be taken with but um i, I think he has a, a better chance to win the job than maybe i had originally perceived there so i'd, I'd give Ashawn about 30 percent and stefan charles about one percent <laughs> Um, that guy just strikes me as as rotational filler. I mean, he's yeah, absolutely. I think he he fits the need of, as a run stuffer, but that that's not a guy that I don't, I don't expect him to start. Yeah, that that would be a surprise. Uh, moving to the second level, strong side linebacker. I think we can safely say that DeAndre Levy will be starting on, on the weak side. I think I think we can safely say that Tahir Whitehead will be starting in the middle. With all respects to Stephen Tollick, who remains on the roster uh, for the time being, um, but a strong side. It's there's. I mean, you you. I thought it was going to be Josh Bynes at the outset of the offseason because he had done more because Van Noy, Kyle Van Noy, the former second-round pick, was uh, doing very little in terms of improvement, in terms of any kind of uh, moves up the depth chart. And then what do you know? He gets the OTAs, and Kyle Van Noy has received almost exclusively the first-team reps on the strong side. Um, I, do th- I, I was curious when we first saw that, Justin, whether – that was an indicator that Van Noy was really making this, these kind of gains and he was really the best strong side linebacker for this team. Or if they were just putting him out there to sink or swim, putting him out there as a litmus test to see where he was at, whether he was ready. And if he wasn't, they could write him off. Um, and I, I I think it's the former. I mean, I, I see more out of Van Noy than I did before. He's not as lost as he was before. I know they're in shorts. So you know, with that uh, caveat aside, though, I, I just think Van Noy is a better player. And, and reading what you know Terrell Austin and all these guys are saying about him that you know there's a difference between there's a there's a, there's a you do this long enough and I I mean you have your older than I am you you Jerk. yeah I hate to remind you of that um, but you do this long enough and you can begin to tell a distinction between when you're hearing some 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 coach speak and when you're hearing genuine praise over a guy that's legitimate and sometimes you can still get those wrong but sometimes you, you hear the difference and with Van Noy I hear the difference from Terrell from Jim Caldwell from teammates that people are excited about this guy because they drafted him with the idea that he was going to he was going to be a starter right out of the gate and that hasn't happened hasn't happened obviously for a confluence of factors um uh, notably the injury which which set him back and all kinds of stuff and he's been behind the eight ball ever since really um but you know, I think there's an excitement around Allen Park that he's finally showing some gains. That he he came back apparently in the best shape of his life, according to Jim Caldwell. He knows the playbook he, uh, in his keys better than he ever has, according to Terrell Austin. He's anticipating things better. He's in better position before the before the snap than he ever was before, and that to me might 
be the biggest and best indicator of all that he's improving because I don't think athleticism has really ever been the problem. The problem has been him being totally clueless. I must use a naughty word there. Totally clueless um, when it came to particularly diagnosing pass plays and, 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 and fulfilling his responsibilities. And it seems he's sorting that stuff out. And if that's true, Van Noy, I think 80, 85%, the guy on the strong side. I, I'll go 80%. I'll go 80%. I, uh, I don't doubt the genuineness of the comments at all. You know, I, I think, you know, coaches are generally excited about players when they come back. And, uh, you know, he's clearly put in work into his, his body this offseason and it's, it's shown. Um, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical because of what I've seen from him on the field in the past. And, uh, I go back to BYU. And it's it's so weird to think that a guy was lost in the field where he was a, a field general at, at that program was was all over the place, diagnosed, read everything, was always making plays, wh- whether it was forcing fumbles, picking up sacks, intercepting passes. I mean, he just was an incredible do everything linebacker at, at BYU. But I've seen him with the professional ranks, and listen, a lot of his development has been sapped by by two serious injuries that you know pretty much robbed him of of off seasons and uh that that's certainly a factor but when he's been out on the field he's just looked average at best and and you know that's probably even being generous uh he he couldn't cover vance mcdonald 49ers tight end at all he's he's struggled to shed blocks he's made very few plays only played 80 defensive snaps so i mean the sample size is is really small from last season uh, but talking to Lions coaches, um, both publicly and then, uh, you know, had an off the record conversation with, with a coach this offseason, uh, Van Noy is going to get every shot to win that job. And, and that is obviously come to fruition here in the early parts of OTA. He's, he's getting all that burn. Um, you know, I, I thought Bynes might be in that conversation as well, even though he wasn't necessarily a frame fit for the strong side spot. Um, I just thought maybe the Lions would run out the three best guys, but that's that's looking less likely. So the, the real competition are, are two new guys. It's it's John Bostic, who they picked up in a trade. Uh, another former second-round pick who's got more experience. Um, not necessarily great experience or, or great production, but at least some barometer that you can look at for what he's done in the, the, the pro ranks. And then uh, you got Antoine Williams, who I, I think is a really exciting young player, but he's coming from a really low level of competition. And, um, you know, to me, he's he's a tier whitehead type player where he's going to have to, it's going to be a slow grow while he, you know, dominates on special teams into a more productive role in the defense. So right now, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to throw it at, at, at the high ratio you did, but you know, maybe 65 percent uh, Van Noy wins that job, and listen, that job is what thirty five percent of snaps probably in the defense right. right now. So it's it's not a huge strain or stress uh, for them to be worrying about. But um, I don't know, it'd be, a, it'd be a good story if if not only wins the job, but is productive in that spot because I, th- I think many Lions fans and. Um, me as as a member of the media kind of have written him off at this point and uh, mm-hmm. you know it's it's not entirely fair for a guy that that was as productive as he was two years ago yeah no i mean no doubt there's some knocks on his game I and mean, there's no there's no disputing that um i just i just see a guy repping with the first team and impressing coaches in a pretty genuine way and getting opportunities to 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 win that job and uh, i wouldn't put it past him if if he does um I, I mean, I know, I know for a fact, Terrell Austin was was high on this kid coming out of the draft. You know, I mean, they, he, Terrell Austin was a Kyle Van Noy guy in that draft, and I mean, the, the Lions actually traded up to get him, uh, which a lot of people forget. But they they really wanted this this guy. He just hasn't developed for again a, a whole host of reasons, some of his own doing and some not. But uh, if he's turning, if, he, if he's sorting himself out, which it seems he is, I think I think Terrell Austin would very much like this guy playing for him on you know in that third spot. Uh, moving to the back end, uh, strong safety. Um, so many options. There are, um, but I, I think there's only one that has a real... <laughs> there is only one strong safety at this point in my book, which is Raphael Bush. Um, it's, you know, we're all very excited about Miles Killebrew when he was drafted because of the nickname, because of the hard hitting, because of uh, his excitement of being drafted. I mean, he's a great draft story, and he very much could contribute for this team. Uh, could even contribute this year on special teams, but... 
um, you know, he's from Southern Utah. Uh, you know, he's the the the, the 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 play. I don't know what conference they play in, but the level of competition in the conference, as Justin quickly googles, yeah, so um, I'm going to go with Big Sky, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, but the level there is not the NFC North. I can tell you that. Um, rest assured, nailed it, Big Sky. There you go. And so he's got he's got some work to do, and and that. That just logically makes sense, but then Terrell Austin goes out there on a podium and says exactly the same thing. Uh, this he's a he, he Austin said as much. He's a long term project. They like him a lot, but he's a long term project. I just don't think he's going to be your, your week one starter, barring injury or disaster. Um, you know, Tavon uh, Wilson. I almost said Austin. Tavon Wilson uh, is was. I mean, he's been a career reserve, um, and I don't think he's got a realistic shot. I, I just think Rafael Bush is their guy. Barring injury, um, he's he's been the uh, he's earned the bulk of the first team reps throughout camp and um, you know I'd, I'd throughout the OTAs and I just don't see it going any other way at this point. Yeah, it, it, and oh, listen, I didn't put a percentage on. It. I guess I'll go ninety five percent. Whoa, yeah, yeah. who's going who, to take it from him? Yeah, no, I it, it's it's interesting because because Bush isn't a strong safety. I mean, it's just not how he's been used at the the where he's been so far. Uh, True. His, his skill set really mirrors in a lot of ways Glover Quintz. I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, you could have two cover guys in safety, two cover guys that tackle well and, and get into passing lanes well. Uh, I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I know the Lions have, have rolled with the traditional strong safety, but uh, I didn't look at Issa abdul Kadus as a traditional strong safety either. So Right, um, and that's the thing. We've seen Glover Quinn play well alongside James Adebo, and we've seen him play well alongside Issa abdul Kadus, um, and we've seen him play well alongside Louis Delmas, and all all those guys are very different players. I, I think Quinn's a great player, and I think he's at his best when you do have a traditional strong side guy, a, a traditional strong safety alongside him, but he's shown he can do anything, and I think the Lions are banking on that. And, and I, I've said this Many times, I mean, the the strongest part of Raphael Bush's game is he's a phenomenal tackler. Just doesn't miss. He wraps up really well. Great form. Um, you know, he's he's going to contribute in in the the run game. I guess that way that he's going to fill those lanes and and make sure that when he hits a back, the back's going down. Uh, one name you didn't mention and uh, has has been kind of interesting during. The, these OTAs is Isaiah Johnson. Yeah. You know, he does fit that that strong safety mold. He had a whole year here, um, so the practice squad at first, right, and got promoted late in the season. Right. Uh, you know, Hedebo and, and Quinn both had very good things to say about him as a as, uh, as a, a, his learning process throughout the season and his des- his drive, his desire to get better. Um, you know, it was a guy that looked very raw last off season, but um, with with Quinn nursing the ankle injury, he's been getting that first team reps with with Bush. Um, you know, I think he's in the mix. I would put him in the mix as much as I put Killebrew and and Wilson in the mix. So yeah, it's it's probably seventy five eighty percent Bush. You know, I'm I, maybe mm. I'm just not willing to to go mm. into those ninety ninety five ballparks. And then, like the rest of them, can just split it evenly. I don't, I don't. Whatever remainder I had left, they can each get their their small piece of the pie. But I, I do want to see Isaiah Johnson with pads. I do want to see him in the preseason games to see how the growth has gone there because uh, he was a priority undrafted free agent. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, he was the biggest. He got a huge bonus, biggest yeah. guarantee yeah. that they gave out last year. And I, I understand that um, front office management has changed, but the coaches really help identify a lot of those UDFA guys. So. Um, Austin liked him. You know, I think he's he's going to provide some interesting competition, and we've been saying it for a while. We'll keep saying it. Killebrews, uh, even as a fourth-round pick, probably more of a long-term guy. I, I think the earliest you'll see him out there in a starting role is probably 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, long snapper? Um, I guess we I can finish anymore. up there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they they, 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 they drafted the uh, Jimmy Landis kid. Uh, so you would think he'd be the guy, but they've got Dan Mubach out there repping with the, the ones, if you will, um, on special teams. And so, I don't know. I'll go mm, I'll go 92.5% on Jimmy Landis. Yeah, to provide further analysis on it, I'll just say same. <laughs> well said. Well said. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with long snapper talk yeah. for the rest of the offseason. Hey, man, we're like a half hour into this thing, and we still haven't gotten to a second topic yet. So I think... You just you disagree with me. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It works for me. Um, but one backup, 
I guess one backup job that intrigues me that I think intrigues a lot of people um, is the is the one at quarterback. You know, Dan, they, I mean, they re-signed Dan Olavsky, but they drafted Jake Rudock out of Michigan. Um, a lot of people around here are very familiar with his game and and how much he matured there under Jim Harbaugh. Um, you know, was perceived to have maybe a limited skill set, um, but came in for a workout in Allen Park during the pre-draft process and really impressed Lions coaches with his, um, I don't want to say his arm strength, but maybe his lack, His maybe that the fears about the lack of arm strength were overblown. Uh, maybe it's the best way to put it. And so they, they felt confident in his physical ability. They blew, he blew him away with his intellect, which is something that people always say about Rudak going way back to um, his early college days. And so, yeah, so it's a kind of an interesting battle there between uh, the, 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 the rookie and the veteran. Um, and I know people, I think, I think a lot of people are rooting for Rudak. They wanna, they're intrigued to see what he can do. And, and I think a lot of that is because of the disillusionment about Dan Orlovsky and, you know, his, his history here, um, for better or worse. But, I mean, correct mostly me if I'm, worse. Correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, but Orlovsky looks leaps and bounds ahead of Jake Rudock at this point. It does not that competition does not look close. And I'm not crowning Orlovsky the guy um, because when things click, they can quick uh, they can click quickly for a quarterback. He, the guy can go a guy can go from looking not that impressive to looking really good real fast once stuff settles in, and that could happen for a, a rookie like Rudock. But at this point. The Lions would be crazy, I think, to make Jake Rudak the number two over Dan Olavsky. That uh, Olavsky is way ahead of Jake Rudak at this point. Yeah, it's it's not close. I, I didn't expect it to be close. I, I'll say this. I mean, Rudak looks better than what Kellen Moore did when he first got here. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, that that was disastrous. I, I don't know if I ever saw somebody that looked less like a fit on the NFL team than, than Kellen Moore during his first rookie year. Now, listen, he got obviously much better over time and i think you can expect rudock to get better over time as well and it's just the natural learning curve of, of a rookie quarterback a very difficult position to play maybe the most difficult position to play in any sport um but this is orlovsky's job to to lose i mean if you want to throw percentages on i mean there's one where i'll i'll happily throw a 90 out there bob quinn shifting gears bob quinn has made um you know a lot of uh changes to the roster maybe not so much at the top end you know a lot of starters are back and, and so forth he can only make so much change in one offseason but we've seen tremendous change in the middle class of the of the team um guys bring brought into uh you know to in backup roles who will be featured prominently on special teams of course there's the the um the draft picks as well uh, i think we'll see a couple of those guys in, in starting positions particularly taylor decker uh, but now that the dust has settled a little bit, Justin, they brought in um, their free agents. They've brought in their ten draft picks. Uh, uh, what, at what position does depth concern you the most? I mean, I, I guess we've talked a lot about like depth and where the lines maybe are the deepest, and uh, you know where they feel good, but not as much about what the concerns are. I'm I'm curious on your take. What do you, which position do you think offers the most concern right now in terms of depth? Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's kind of been my 1A all offseason. I, I don't really feel like they, they ever truly addressed it. Um, defensive end, I mean, still still concerns me. Uh, they, they drafted a guy in the sixth round, Anthony Zettel. They signed a uh, veteran who is coming off of a, a down year in, in Wallace Gilberry, let Jason Jones go. And it's not like Jason Jones is a superstar by any means, but at, at least had two solid seasons here in a row. Um, and, and you're really banking on Devin Taylor. And, and listen, I think Devin Taylor is on the upswing. I think he's getting better. But uh, still, in terms of where does he rank amongst all starters in the NFL, it's, it's probably you know well in the lower half. So I, I just don't know where they are at defensive end beyond Ezekiel Ansa that they, they can really be confident in. They obviously, they're taking a look at Croy Beerman. I mean, that's, that's not a solution either. You're not going to find pass rushers magically on the market mm-hmm. at this point you couldn't even find them really in free agency this year it was such a weak market and oh that's george johnson yeah so yeah i mean that that's what they really need they need to find a george johnson and, and that's not going to be a guy we're going to identify now i mean everybody yeah. scoffed at the george johnson signing when it happened so i think they scoffed they they yawned right yeah like, that was a. Uh, I think he was picked up in like february or something like that or it would in february but like march or april and it's just like, oh, okay, there's a depth, there's a body to beat out during the offseason, but the guy kept making plays and making plays and ended up sticking. I just remember going back and like after he had his successful season and reading the comments on that initial story. And yeah, I mean it's it's yeah. I mean it's just the nature of it. They they signed so many guys in the offseason and they all seem like 
camp bodies at the mm-hmm. bottom of the roster. But, you know, it, it seems like every year one of those guys emerges and, and the Lions could use a defensive end to emerge. And, and maybe that's Zettel. Maybe, maybe it is. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't put a lot of faith in a six-round guy generally, but, uh, you know, maybe he he clicks with Chris Kasurik and uh, the defensive line coach unlocks his potential. I, I don't know, but that's that's still that's my number one position of concern. I'm telling theoretic you don't like six round picks. Yeah, no, go ahead. Um, but back to your point about Devin Taylor, uh, the guy obviously has ability. I, I just I think there's an inherent risk in going into a, a season like this with him as your presumptive starter. Uh, when he's done, he when he's done uh, so little, if you will, over the course of his career. And I, again, I give him full credit for what he did last year—the seven sacks. The, you know, he came up big on a couple of occasions. Um, you know, I mean, he obviously had the 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 the, the face mask or the the called face mask against Green Bay, which was a low point. But um, but he had, I mean, he had a good season. I don't take that away from him. But they made no addition, no meaningful additions, if you will, at that position um, with apologies to, to Gilberry, but there, there's a risk and in, in, I think in, in putting all of your marbles, if you will, in a, a basket like that where he's done. He's only done it for one year and I think there is, I agree with you, there are depth concerns at that position uh, because of that. I'd also point to corner. Um, for sure. For In terms of, of uh, you know, where it concerns me um, and not just because you have Darius Slay and you have Nevin Lawson and then you have uh, uh, you know, undesirable options probably after that, or un, uh, you know, non non ideal options after that. Alex Carter and and, and uh, what's his name, uh, Darren Walls, um, the top option I think uh, behind those two. Mm-hmm. So there is a, 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 a you know, there's a drop off, but not just that. There's that position so important. That's such a, a cornerback is such an important position. And if you say have say something happens to Darius Slay, the drop off from Darius Slay to um, Darren Walls or Alex Carter is massive, and I'm not sure the Lions would be able to hold water, would be able, would be able to tread water, rather, if an injury were to occur to Slay. And even if they lose loss, and I'm, I, there's just, I'm, I don't know, I don't know what they have in Walls, and no one knows what they have in Alex Carter because Alex Carter's never played down in this league, and so both both because of the drop off in talent from the top two to the reserves, as well as the importance of that position, particularly in a, in a, in a league where you play Aaron Rodgers twice and things like that, um, that concerns me greatly as well as the depth there at corner. And we're talking about complementary positions. I mean, if the defensive line isn't getting pass rush, you know, it's going to be harder on the cornerbacks. And mm-hmm. if the cornerbacks can't cover, then it doesn't matter how quick your pass rush is going to get there because the receivers are going to be open. So, uh, you know, Lions really struggled in the first half of last year. Quarterbacks just ate them alive. What was it, like 72% completion percentage through through eight games. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they tightened it up. It's shocking to me still that the Lions were top 10 in sacks last year. I mean, uh-huh. Terrell Austin really found a way to kind of get everybody involved outside of, you know, Ansa, who obviously carried his own weight there. But, uh, you know, he's, I, I think Austin's going to have to get creative again this year with with how he brings pass rush pressure and, and finding ways to generate sacks, not just from uh, his edge rushers. I think defensive end and and cornerback are clearly the two positions of, of depth that are the most concerning. Uh, but I'll give a special shout out to the tight end, especially right now. I mean, we you know the two the two practices we've seen, no Eric Ebron, no Brandon Pettigrew, and no Tim Wright um, last week because he's been cut. Um, so I mean, just just a lack of depth there. And I know you kind of like the, the the rookie Cole Wick. Um, they've also got uh, some guy named Matthew Mulligan repping with the ones. And so I mean, there's just a depth issue there. Eric Ebron's injury is minor. Uh, he's been back. Report the, the team announced this week he was back at OTAs this week, and I think we'll see him out there on Thursday. Um, you know, but th- his absence the past couple of weeks just you know it just to me it just it just shows the the lack of depth they have there at this time. And with Brennan Pettigrew, you know, I mean, Bob Quinn said it, um, uh, earlier this week. Bob Quinn said that Pettigrew would miss the start of training camp. Um, which means there's a real chance that he's going to miss the start of the season. And I'm not sure who the blocking tight end is if there's no Brandon Pettigrew. I mean, you can sign someone. Um, that's not exactly a, a, you know, it's not like defensive end where you can't just go out and buy a, you can't just go out and buy a, a pass rusher. You can go out and buy a blocking tight end. Um, but there's just not a lot of depth there at this point. And if something happens to Eric Ebron, then you really have, you are really, are, you're really in a world of hurt at that position. Um, so clearly to me, there's a, a depth issue there as well. Yeah, I think Mulligan's the blocking tight end. I think, you know, that's, that's kind of clear at this point whether he wins the job or they they go a different direction. I mean, as you mentioned, blocking tight ends are, are kind of a dime a dozen. Um, yeah. But uh, Mulligan has a very defined reputation. Um, 
as as a workout warrior and, and a, a very good blocker. But yeah, you, you you took the point right from me. I mean, if, if Ebron were to go down in in some unfortunate circumstance, uh, I guess TJ Jones playing time's coming up because they're they're going to be going four <laughs> wide receivers. They're just just scrap the tight end position at that point. Uh, it it would be. Uh, disastrous. I mean, I I might like Cole Wick, but he's he's yep. no Eric Ebron. He's certainly not going uh, to be to Ebron's performance level as a as a rookie. Well, hey, and they're putting in the the Cooter offense right now, and that's going to feature prominently, I think, Eric Ebron and the tight end position because it's a, a weapon they have. And I know people love to hate the guy, but he does ha- he can catch the football. Um, you know, drops were an issue in his past, and we'll see if he's shaking those permanently or not. But um, they've designed the offense to include Eric Ebron and and have him shoulder a, you know that load with with Kelvin Johnson gone. You lose him, you're not only losing a good player, but you're also going to talk. You're also going to be talking about shaking up the game plan and then just all the ripple effects from there too. So that's a it's a loss I really can't afford. And you know, tight end for that reason for me is a, a position with some concern in terms of depth. Theo Riddick might catch 120 balls in that scenario. <laughs> I mean, I, I just I don't know what they do. I mean, not bad for a contract here. Yeah. Um, let's wrap up, Justin, with uh, talking about Ziggy. Uh, I think I think it's a favorite topic of a lot of people just because he's such a unique player. He's a good player. He's fun to watch. He's becoming a dominant player. So dominant that uh, coaches are talking about the possibility of 20-sack seasons. Terrell Austin said this uh, last week that he wouldn't be surprised to see Ansa do it. Uh, my question for you is, how realistic is that? How realistic is it? Is the 20-sack benchmark for Ziggy Ansa? Holds Ansa now. Do you know off the top of your head? No, he's probably like 20, maybe 24, 25. I mean, I, I understand he looks like he's 32, but so... Uh, Entering his, so he's he's twenty seven. He's twenty seven. Wow. He's That's he's in his entering his physical prime. He's gotten better all three seasons. Last year, fourteen and a half sacks. Um, you know the the defensive tackle group should be a little bit better, which would help him. I I, I do think twenty is is realistic. I'm, I'm not saying likely. Uh, only ten guys, eleven seasons have there been. Uh, 20 sacks in the 30 plus years they've been tracking the statistic but that's that's a sack and a quarter game or, or five sacks every four games and Ansa had a stretch like that last year he had I think six and a half in a four game stretch um, it it's just a matter of, of consistency for him at this point and you know I, I think you're going to start seeing more multi-sacks games for him uh, I, I really doubt Robert Porsche's Franchise record of fifteen is going to last more than you know another season or two. Mm-hmm. Um, if if anybody's going to do it, I mean, Ansa has everything you want in a player: the size, speed, strength. Uh, still, still growing. Obviously, still young in terms of how long he's been playing the game. I, it, it just strikes me as as realistic. Uh, it's possible. I'm not sure if it's realistic. And there's a distinction. <coughs> there's a distinction between the two. Um, I mean, it's possible because he's a talented player. Uh, I mean, you just outlined all that stuff, and we've seen it with our own eyes. So there's no, uh, there's no sense in wasting time discussing that. But it's just hard to do. It's a lot of sacks. It's happened. You mentioned ten times. Uh, it's happened eleven times from ten different players since '82, uh, but only six times in the past twenty-five years. You know, it's it's just tough to do. Strahan, Demarcus Ware, Jared Allen, Justin Houston, and JJ Watt twice. I mean, those are are, are leviathans at that position. Guys who have really uh, dominated the sport at various times, and um, you know, Anza's a good player. He's—I mean, you can call him a great player now. I think, but is he at that level? I'm, I'm not—I don't know. I, I, and I think, you know, if I, there's less, you know, if the, the 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 defensive line is not as deep as it used to be as well. So I think offenses can de- design their protections more to account for for Ziggy and. Um, you know, hey, he can do it, but I just don't think it's very... I don't think it's realistic. It, it could happen. He has the ability to make it happen. I just don't think it's that realistic because it's such a high benchmark. And, um, yeah, I just don't see it happening. I think the factors that are going to hold him back is you're finding that this league is is getting rid of the football quicker. They're, they're just... Quarterbacks are, are throwing it. That The shorter passing game is, is taking precedent. And the less time that a defensive end has to get back there, then the less likely they are to, to get sacks. Um, and... Two, you know, a, a guy like Nevin Lawson. I mean, if if that's your weak point and and quarterbacks can continue to attack that side of the field, then you know you need great coverage to to rack up that many sacks. And um, 
you know, Lions secondary is certainly better than it was 10 years ago or five years ago, but there, there's a lot of question marks there still. So, um, pretty much everything needs to go in his favor, clean up sacks and all that jazz. Well, when something is so, it, when something is so difficult to attain, you by definition need everything to go your way to get it. Um, and again, it could happen. The guy has the ability. I wouldn't put anything past him, um, but it's just a difficult thing to do. Um, and I keep hearing, I keep hearing coaches say and, and people say, you know, he's just scratching the surface, and that kind of annoys me because, like, he's a really he was a Pro Bowl player last year. He almost set the the, the, the team record for sacks. He's already a really good player. I, I don't think he's just scratching the surface. I think we're starting to see what he can do. He can be a great player. But can he be a transcendent player? Is he, is he a J.J. Watt? Is he a guy who can get to the quarterback 20 times in a season? Uh, I just I just don't know how realistic that is. With Even with how talented he is, I just don't know how realistic that is. No, he's not a J.J. Watt. Nobody's right. a J.J. Watt. I mean, that's that's the best defensive player. But can he? is he a Justin Houston? Yeah, I think, he, you know, Houston I look at as a very good NFL player. He's not a transcendent talent, and yet he managed to rack up 22 sacks because that was his, um, you know, He's very good at getting to the quarterback. That's his his strong suit. And I, I think Ansel's a little bit more well rounded than that. Um, the Lions took a very positive step last year and not locking him into one side of the field. Now he's moving around, and I, I think Pro Football Focus said that on the snaps he took from the right side of the defensive line, which was only like ten percent of his snaps, but he was the single most productive pass rusher in terms of generating pressure from that side. So. You know, the, the more they find creative ways, yes, defenses are going to scheme against Ansa, but that's going to be Terrell Austin's job is to find ways to still take advantage of the weak points in the defense because he doesn't have a more dangerous weapon than, than Ezekiel Ansa to, to wreck game plans. And so I, I expect them to continue to be creative. We've been uh, talking for 50 minutes. I have a uh, The Americans uh, season finale to it ready for, so I think this is a nice. Yeah, I got a, a cooler. <laughs> any uh, any 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 TV shows you're binging on right now? Binging? I just started Archer. Oh, uh, I yeah, I used to watch it a couple times with my college roommates and stuff. But I've never gotten yeah, it's much into it. it's filthy. Which I mean, that's that's my sense of humor. So yeah. uh, I know have have to couch that for <laughs> the podcast and all other aspects of the job. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm keeping up with Game of Thrones and uh, uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, know, Silicon po- popular good. shows that are currently running yeah no i've really gotten into the americans and if, if you guys haven't watched it, it's a fun show i it's it, this is the time where we recommend tv shows <laughs> no i just i've binged the crap out of it and it's it's four seasons deep tonight's the finale and i've, I've watched four seasons in probably a month i probably watch a season a week uh it's uh, addictive stuff it's worth checking out if you are as bored as i have been and when you're as bu- busy as we are during the season i for sure welcome summer boredom um thanks for th- tuning in guys we always appreciate it and this is still a new very new thing so if you have ideas or you have feedback constructive or not feel free to hit us up if it's not constructive feel free to hit up justin about that uh, yeah i got some of those emails last <laughs> week. thanks guys uh, they they love they love to hate on the intro music and i understand oh, it's yeah. corny as i'm gonna as I'm going to turn the volume up on it. If anyone wants to uh, to donate some some cash for rights fees for a a legitimate song, then, yeah, you have the right to complain. Otherwise, uh, you're stuck You can also just submit your own intro music. There you go. I don't care. I mean, you want to write something custom for us? We'll we'll take it. (laughs) And uh, we might only use it one week, but I'm I'm not saying we won't use it. And the people. Um, Thanks again, everyone. Uh, We'll be be all over OTAs as they wrap up on Thursday, so be sure to... Be sure to check it out on MLive. We'll be back next week for uh, minicamp. For Justin Rogers, I'm Kyle Mankey. We are MLive. Keep her here.